and we are live what is going on everyone welcome to game breakers your host Edwin, back again on the freaking wednesday psych now thursday just kidding it's tuesday afternoon i'm not sure why i just did all that but that was a bit too much anyways i hope you guys are all enjoying your day and sit back relax tune into some game breakers because you know what time it is man if you're wondering of course i did enjoy my birthday it was nice relaxing Christmas Day was also nice, relaxing. You know what's funny, guys? I'm not sure what it is, but within the past couple of years, Christmas has gotten a bit boring for me. I'm not sure what it is. I really don't. Maybe because I'm getting a bit older, but there's less presents. There's not really much Christmas feel to it anyway. Like, there's no hot cocoa nowadays. I don't know what's going on, man. I really don't. But you know what never leaves Christmas Day? The cold, the snow, the windy breeze. No, 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 no. That all stays on Christmas Day. That will that will forever be here. <laughs> I haven't had a hot Christmas yet, to be honest, unless I'm in Florida or whatever, or one of these other tropical places or countries as well, too. Many people going back to Ghana, so that's nice. But I'm here in New Jersey. It's cold over here. Anyways, I hope you guys are all enjoying your last week of the year. The last week of the year, we are finally here. Yes. So keep on grinding. Keep on doing your thing, keep on having that confidence. That does not stop within the last year, within the last week of the year, does not stop going into the new year. And you know I'm going to give you guys motivation that will always be consistent. But anyways, guys, forget all about that because we didn't come in for New Year's talk. We didn't come in for last week of New Year's talk. We're talking about sports, 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 and more sports. Now let's get straight into it. Let's dive into the week 16, week 16 recap. Um, I'll give you guys a bit, a short synopsis of my Jets and Jaguars game that I did not do because I did not record on Friday, but that game was just out of sorts. I think it's safe to say that the Zach Wilson experiment has been done in. <laughs> it has not worked out. You know, it backfired. It is what it is. But in that game specifically, we had no hope of scoring at all. I mean, we get back Quinton Williams. He makes a, a big play on the first drive, a big play, forces a fumble. We get the ball in red zone territory. We go backwards, get a field goal. The Jaguars, who are hot at the time and are still hot at this moment in time, these guys looked pretty much imposing the entire night. I mean, they ran the football pretty well. Um, you saw Trevor Lawrence. You saw the difference between Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, which I'm not trying to compare these two young QBs, but there was a big, significant difference. And they moved the football with ease. They had pretty much answers for a lot of things. And he made a couple of plays with his legs that put the game away for us. The defense, I'm very surprised about my defense. My defensive performance was not that good. And when you look at the past couple of weeks in games where I felt as if the defense would carry us to these victories, we have looked lackluster. So, we have another chance. I'm not sure how many chances we'll get going into the last two weeks of the uh, of the regular season, but this defense better stiffen up because in that same game, uh, whatever, 10-play, 96-yard touchdown drive by the Jacksonville Jaguars was too much, too much. If you are a dominant defense, you got to get off the field quickly in that instance, but it did not happen. But on the Jets' side, the offensive side of the football, Zach Wilson once again missing open throws. Uh, once again, not having a running game, but either way, though, we had nothing. You brought in Strebler, and we had a couple. We, don't, we didn't even have a whole playbook for this guy. We had about 10 pit plays in that package, and that, that looked better than what we did with Zach Wilson all night. It, it's over, man. It's over. And I'm, I'm being first to say that it's over. I, I think that we should still go into the offseason of trying to um, get as much out of him as possible and to try and fix his mechanics and whatnot. Because I think that trying to cut him loose after his second year would be a bit too much. That should show that we have lost all hope, which we have, which we have. But we have to still try our best to develop this guy. And it's not working out. But either way, though, we're not talking about Thursday Night Football. That's kind of over with. We lost that game pretty bad in bad fashion. Let's go Bills and Bears and a lot of Saturday matchups on my birthday, by the way. Happy belated birthday to me. Bills and Bears. It took a while for this Bills team to get going. You know, um, you saw the Bears had some fighting spirit to them, and you saw that in the first quarter. A couple of plays made by Justin Fields with his legs, obviously, once again. Uh, we had a wide-open touchdown in the back of the end zone uh, to Dante Pettis. That got the scoring going. Uh, you saw the Bills 
as the game went on, they just wore down this Bears team with the running game. The passing game would be there still, obviously. Um, you just didn't really have an answer moving forward. I, you only have so many answers for this Bills team up until it gets to the midway point of the game. Now you have to start adjusting. You have to start finding other ways to get better answers. And this Bears team is not the best at doing that. It's still a bad defense, still can't really stop anybody. And you saw that on Sunday when the Bills finally took over the game and really put down to rest the offense of the Bears units, you know, going into the third quarter at least, where they had nothing going for them. Um, you know, we got that big run for a touchdown by Devin Singletary. Really everything going their way. And then once again, if we find a Bills team, this Bills team, if they find a way to run the football, they will have another element to their game their offensive game moving forward in the postseason. But the question always remains, dating back to last year, dating back to the years before with Josh Allen at the helm. Can they run the football effectively? I don't know if they can or not, but it's a nice element to have. Bills triumph the Bears in Chicago, 35-13. to 13. Let's go Saints and Browns. Um, I called the Browns to win this game, actually, and they did not. Deshaun Watson, you saw that he had a couple of plays that I went, okay, this is what they can utilize for the future and instill and make the offense a bit dangerous. But overall, though, pretty lackluster. 10 points scored against this Saints team that has proven to me time and time again this season that they are not the best team or one of the best teams in the NFL at defense. They are not. Quite frankly, they're about mid, mid-table defense for me. I don't care what the numbers say. They have underperformed a bunch of times this season. So I thought that with a team that is growing in strength with Deshaun Watson back at quarterback and having better numbers every week, I thought they'd be able to put a number on the Saints team, which they did not. Did not. Now, you had a, a play in the end zone by Amari Cooper that was dropped for a touchdown. That was a big play in the game. That should have happened. Should have been up in this game, probably 14-0. Uh, but it is what it is, though. You know, after that, you can't tell me that you're stumped for the entire rest of the game and you score only 10 points after you were up by 10 points too. You had a 10-point lead and you blew it. Credit the Saints for coming back. Andy Dalton made a couple of plays with this of the passing game. Um, we saw Alvin Kamara get the running game going as well too. That was nice. You see some type of uh, offense that has some great sparks in it when you utilize a guy like Taysom Hill. Remember going back into the past, what, maybe the midway point of the season, I said, give the ball to Taysom Hill. He needs to have at least 10 touches each game because he, pre he presents a different kind of element to this team that is lacking, which was sparks, creativity. Think about it, guys. If Taysom Hill had an arm like Andy Dalton, he'd be a really good quarterback to me. Why? Because he'd have, he'd have that, that running element to his game as well as the passing element to his game. So why not? But he can only do so much. But either way, though, when you have him, he's still a quarterback. So when you have him in the game, you can still have these trick plays that can keep the defense honest. And you saw in that game, he'd made a couple plays that went their way for them. Right. But later on, the game kind of changes for me when Deshaun Watson throws his pick. It's tipped in the air, picked off by the Saints. They go up 13. I mean, sorry, 17 to 10 after that. And it was never the same, to be honest, after that. Like, it was never the same. I don't know what, what happened. I'm not sure what the Saints did to stump the passing game of the Browns. You had the running game there still, but the passing game was the issue right there, which I thought would take over once we got some more consistency under the belt of Deshaun Watson. But still, as I have projected, it's still a bit lackluster. Still a bit lackluster. Uh, let's move on to the Seahawks and Chiefs. Nothing in this game for the Seahawks. Nothing in this game at all. I mean, the Chiefs, and give credit to the Chiefs' defense because even without Tyler Lockett, this team is still very much dangerous, okay? Very much dangerous with the big play yardage. They had a couple of big plays in that game as well, too, even down by double digits. But in the first half, though, it was all Chiefs, all Chiefs. Defense, the, the you got back home. We have to keep on remembering, guys. It's not a great offensive line. So those big runs by Kenneth Walker, he had to dance in the backfield for about two seconds and then break a couple of tackles to get 15 yards. It wasn't really the offensive line giving him this big holes to run through. Now, there were some plays that he had a running lane through, but overall, though, he had to make a lot of plays happen. Going back to the pass protection, 
no pass protection. All right. Uh, my guy, Geno Smith, was running for his life, running for his life the, for the most part of the game, which you really can't get going. And when you have that, that's when the passing element kind of uh, disintegrates and doesn't really have any kind of big play feel to it. And that's why we saw a team that was down, what, 17 to 3 at halftime or 10 to 3 at halftime, whatever. It is what it is, but they didn't really have nothing going for them. And for the Chiefs' standpoint, um, too creative. Too creative. I think that they should have scored more points. 24 points, to me, not enough against this team that is not good on defense at all. Not really good at defense. And you've seen that the past couple of weeks. I mean, you, you let the Panthers come into town. And score what twenty four points? You whatever it was, or forty points? I think I forget how much it was, but it was a lot. Oh, sorry, thirty. Never mind, thirty points on you. That's embarrassing. So I thought the Chiefs would be able to run the football, run a table on this team, but they did not. It is what it is. Um, but either way, though, the Seahawks—they always had a tough road to the playoffs after the loss to the Panthers, after the loss to the Niners the loss of the Buccaneers, you know, you got to win those kind of games. And right now you lose to the Buccaneers, which is, I guess is okay, whatever, fine. But the Raiders, you lose to the Raiders, lose to the Panthers, and you lose to the Niners who are a better team than you. After that, it's the Jets and Rams. It's kind of tough, but they still have a chance though. Still have a chance. We'll see what happens with this Jets and, and Seahawks matchup coming up on Sunday. But, very, very, very interested in seeing exactly how that plays out. How that plays out indeed. Anyways, let's move on. Bengals and Patriots. Okay. You can see throughout the game that the Bengals are not really in the same class. Or the Patriots, rather, are not in the same class as the, as the Bengals. They're not. Not. Because the passing game was working. One of the more hottest passing teams in the NFL, it was working. All right. They had no answer. I'm talking about third and 17 conversions. It, it, it looked like they would be unstoppable in the first half, which they were, which they were down 22 to nothing in the first half. Crazy, isn't it? Huh? Really crazy. I must say um, the running game as well, too, wasn't really the best for the Bengals. But as always, the passing game was there for them. The passing game. Joe Burrow had like what? 124 yards in the first quarter. What, what? That's tough. That is tough. And on the Patriots side, when you are, here we go again, when you are getting outscored upon or outscored on and you're getting into like this shootout kind of field, you can't go three and out. You can't go three and out punt, three and out punt, five and out punt, four and out punt. That's not good enough at all. It's not. It is not. But what ignites the Patriots comeback? Two players. Kevin Bourne, Kendrick Bourne, sorry, and Marcus Jones. Those guys right there. Wow. So we fast forward to the third quarter, right? Uh, I think it's third and whatever. Yeah, third and 11, right? And Joe Burrow makes a crucial mistake. Throws off his back foot. Not sure what he's doing. The ball is late. You can never throw late, especially to the sideline. Can never throw late to the sideline off your back foot. It's like an arm punt. And Marcus Jones is just sitting right there in the coverage. I think it's like cover two. He picks it off. He makes a cut, takes it the distance. Okay, 22 to 6. Now, here's where everything kind of falls apart. <laughs> here's where everything kind of falls apart. So, um, you have a missed field goal by the Bengals after they had a driver where, where they needed to kind of regain some control. Have a missed field goal by McPherson. Not good. Then, we have a miraculous... Oh, my goodness. What the hell are we doing here? A miraculous play. Was it third and 29? I'm not even sure why Mac Jones throws this football. I have no clue, guys. If you're watching this game, it's like a Hail Mary. And it shouldn't be a Hail Mary because it's third and 29. <laughs> you know? Cut your losses. But as we've seen in the past two games, at least, the Patriots team of late has not been the smartest. But he throws the ball. It's tipped. And it's, and it's caught by Jacoby Myers. Why? What is going on here? What a wacky play. They're down at that point, 22 to 18. 
It's crazy. Crazy. And then after that, after that, right, we have a fumble by the Bengals, Jamar Chase. Everything is capitulating. We're going back into what they did against the Buccaneers last week where everything was like going the other way for them. Crazy. And by the way, as the Patriots are, are scoring these touchdowns, Nick Folk is missing these extra points, which is crucial in the game. Very crucial. But fast forward, though. Get the ball back. Bengals go three and out. Get the ball back. Patriots are driving. And Ramon J. Stevenson fumbles, caused by Von Bell, a big play by the Bengals. I wonder exactly how that play would have turned out. I mean, if you would have scored at least. I mean, yeah, if the Patriots would have scored on that on that drive, I wonder how that drive would have catapulted their season into being a threat moving forward. Because two games left, and you're still trying to vie for a playoff spot, but that play changed everything. That whole entire game changed everything. You win that game surprisingly against the Bengals and the Dolphins, who are now without Tua. We'll get to that later. But they have to come into New England with Teddy Bridgewater starting. It's going to be a different kind of breed right there. Now you have the momentum, you know? But it doesn't happen that way, and that play kind of says it all for the Patriots, who are still – not in the class of the Bengals, but either way, though, what a game by them to come back at least. Give credit to Kendrick Bourne and Joby Myers because I know those guys, those guys did all they could to bring up the bring the Patriots back. All right, let's move on to the Lions and Panthers. Guys, how the hell do we lose to the Lions? I'm still not off of that. I'm still not off of that. How do we lose to the Lions? Because I don't understand how they come into Carolina and they lose to the Panthers in this kind of fashion. I don't understand. A team that was dominating in all phases against us last week, especially in the trenches, they come into Carolina and they get pushed back on both sides of the football easily, more so the defense. I mean, the running lanes in the first quarter were atrocious atrocious they were nobody there was no defender in sight to touch these guys up until around the 10 mark the 10th yard mark you know after about 10 yards of running at least no guys touching these these Dante Foreman Chuba Hubbard big running lanes what is going on here for whatever call the Detroit Lions had the Panthers had an answer for it you even seen in that game, Sam Donald making some plays with his legs. He made a play with his arm to a big bomb to DJ Moore, which was a great throw by him against what I think was cover zero look. Wow. But the Lions had nothing going for them except for the, the first two drives. That was it. The first drive scored a touchdown. Second drive, you're driving. We get a fumble. It's recovered. And then that, that to me, the fumble changes the whole game. It does. Because from that point on, the Panthers never look back. They go up by a touchdown on that same drive, and they never look back. 24-7 to 7 at halftime, and coming out of half, it's the same story. It even gets worse. The pass protection for the Lions breaks down multiple times. Multiple times. And this is why I cannot call the Panthers. Because you never know what you're going to get from this team. You never know. How the hell do they go from being a team that has no head coach, you trade away your best players, and whatnot, to destroying the Lions, who are still, who were at least one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. That is crazy. But that game itself was something that I would have never predicted. Never predicted. Falcons and Ravens, um, we have to keep on remembering, guys. The Falcons' pass, um, pass defense sucks. Yes. The secondary sucks. So even Tyler Huntley would have a good day passing the football against this team. The running game would always be there because the Ravens commit to the football at running the football, right? But I want to shout out one name, Desmond Ritter. To me, this is what I want to see. This is the elements of the passing game that I think can develop for this team nicely if he continues to be more consistent. You see him making plays with his legs, but that's not the issue here. The issue that I love for this team is they have – a guy who can push the ball down the field. And I think that is up to Arthur Smith to channel in on that. Like, don't be afraid. Don't have these conservative play calls because he's a rookie. All right. I know that you guys commit to the running game anyway, but 
he is a different kind of breed than Marcus Mariota was. So to me, you use that element of the passing game that he has and you try to exploit defenses that way. To me, that is big. That's important. You had a couple of plays that were like, wow, he made a couple of wild throws on Sunday. Sorry, Saturday. A couple of wild throws. So if you can continue that happening, you get a little bit of some talent here and there, then this team could actually be dangerous. Never know. Never know. But we'll see exactly what happens. Right now, they're not in the same class as the Ravens. Ravens, to me, can clinch the playoffs. And when you have a team that is better off phases with defense, the running game, the passing game as well, too, at least in that case, because of the poor secondary of the Falcons, it's kind of tough for them to come on the road and beat this team. Better coaching, too. But either way, though, for Falcons fans out there, Desmond Ritter is going to be a big part of this team if he gets the chance to do so and he remains consistent. Because so far, I know he had, what, under 100 yards passing last time against the Saints, but so far, though, a big step to have 218 against the Ravens, a big step, way big progress. So we'll see what happens. I think that he could be a building block with this team moving forward. Texans and Titans. Now, coming into this game, if you've watched the Texans in the past two games, you would have known that this team is not going to lay down for anybody. It's not. It's not. So you look at this Texans team, fighter spirit. Going back to last season, you forget that the Texans came into Tennessee and beat them too under Tyrod Taylor. Don't forget about that. So yeah, they are capable of playing up to competition, especially in the in the division as well too. But for the Tennessee Titans, no more Ryan Tannehill. He's out for the season. So you have to rely on Malik Willis. And also for Malik Willis, similar to Desmond Ritter. Now, I'm not going to talk about his passing elements because I think that it has to still develop. Don't really know about that yet. But what I do know is that he does provide a different kind of running style element to the game than Ryan Tannehill does. He's a physical runner, and he can, he's a faster runner too and can get you a little bit more than what Ryan Tannehill at, at this age can do for you, I think. So that's very much important. But looking at the whole entire game, the Texans, man, made a couple of clutch plays in this game, specifically Davis Mills. Guys, if you watch Davis Mills plays, yes, I know he plays for the Texans. I know that he's a guy that we don't really rate too much because of the ceiling compared to the other QBs in the draft class with him. But if you watch his game, he's very consistent. I know he had a couple of blunders here and there that we go, you know, well, that's the reason why they don't have a quarterback. And after this season, they're probably going to move off of him anyway. He's not the answer. But still, give credit to him because he has made some plays where I go, wow, that's actually pretty good. It's actually a pretty good throw right there, you know? And it's sad to say that this Texans team couldn't get the most out of the passing game when he was there. But for what it's worth, though, at least from what I've seen, it's been decent. It's been decent. And on, on Sunday, sorry, Saturday, he made a couple plays in the fourth quarter, too. A couple of big bombs down the sideline. Why I go, wow. That, to me, is changing the game right there in itself. You know? Because the first time these, these two teams met up, the game was won off of Derrick Henry running the football the entire day. Had no answer for Derrick Henry. He still had no answer for Derrick Henry as well to this game. But they had answers on their own for the passing game, for the entire offense this time around, which is the difference, the biggest difference. Okay? And that, to me, is how they won this game. And you fast forward, um, you see the likes of – Malik Willis and what he did in this game as far as just running the football, making plays, and getting held by the run, uh, running game as well, too. I think that he still needs to develop and he still needs to understand coverage. The last pass of the game for him, or probably the last, the second to last drive of the game, which was picked off by the Texans, didn't read that coverage at all. I think it was like a cover two. Um, the linebacker dropped in the coverage, and he just threw the ball. There was He didn't see the linebacker at all, and there was no type of awareness at all on that play. So that lost him some time. And, you know, on the last drive, too, you got to push the ball down, down the field. You're, like, you're not playing for a field goal. You're playing for a touchdown. So these short passes, six yards, maybe uh, five yards, is not going to do it. It's not going to cut it. And he's young, so he's going to learn about these kind of things as he gets more reps under his belt. He should have a crucial matchup against the Jaguars <laughs> next week. 
or this upcoming week or whatever. I'm not sure when they play, but they're going to play sooner or later. Um, but that's going to be very, very, really hard for them to do so. It's going to be a big test for him. So they're going to have to win that game or those games under his under his belt and under his playmaking skills. I, I don't think that you can run the football for as long as you can because teams are going to continue to figure that out, especially down the, the last two weeks. And when you look at their, their schedule, they have the Cowboys and the Jaguars. You cannot run the football the entire game against the Cowboys. You just can't. And for the Jaguars' sake, ugh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But we'll find out really quickly about Malik Willis. We will. We definitely will. Let's move on to the Commanders and Niners. Um, Rock Purdy has taken over the offense. We knew that on the last matchup that we saw against him, and I mean, with him against the Seahawks at least, but Brock Purdy has made a couple of plays where I go, this team would not be the same if it had Jimmy Garoppolo. It would not be. I'm sorry to say. He has put the ball on the money consistently, consistently. And I know he's aided by coaching, running game, receivers, but he does his job. His one pick wasn't even his fault. The ball was dropped by Brennan Jennings. But this team has the capabilities of being really, really good in the postseason. It really does. And it goes back to, to my original point, too, where I was arguing with someone off the, off the mic here about the NFC. NFC is built upon teams, not quarterbacks. AFC is built upon quarterbacks. NFC is built upon teams. Why the hell do we have a shootout against, well, I mean, with the likes of the Cowboys and the Eagles? And why is it that the Niners are looking smooth and much more efficient, even with a, a different QB? It's because of the team. The team it was is what matters. That's the biggest thing. The biggest thing, okay? So, yeah. And you saw the Niners make a couple of plays. The Commanders made a couple of plays as well, too. I, I got to give credit to Taylor Haneke. Didn't really do um, anything wrong for me, for instance. I know he had a one pick in the game. Uh, but for the most part, did a, did a solid job. Was efficient. Um, still threw for under 200 yards, but that's not their game anyway. They're not a passing football team anyway. I just want to see exactly how this team could have been if they would have found their groove and their stride early on in the season where they were struggling with Carson Wentz. You know, um, you ran the football early, but after a while, once again, you can't really run the football the entire game against these teams, these smart teams, smart defenses without having any type of passing element to it. So that's why you saw only Brian Robinson have about 58 yards rushing. Nothing really too much to threaten this entire Niners team, you know. But game got away from them late. That's what it was. It was pretty close up until about the third quarter, and the Niners started pulling away. That's basically what happened. Um, and you go up 30 to 14 at that point, so in the fourth quarter. It is what it is, but I just want to say the commanders still have a chance, though. Still have a chance at the playoffs, one game at a time, but we'll see how they take that. Uh, let's move on. Eagles and Cowboys. I think we have to say that Gardner Minshew can still play football. And I knew this coming into the game. Like I knew that. I'm not sure if I knew he would play this well, but I knew that coming into the game, he wouldn't be bad. He wouldn't be a bad option. So I, for all those people that thought that he'd be a Cooper Rush kind of player, no, he, he's definitely better than Cooper Rush. That's one. And for all those who thought that he'd come in and be like a – uh, he would look like a backup. Don't forget, this guy made a couple of plays in Jacksonville, too. It wasn't the best. But don't forget, too, even last year when he had to fill in for Jalen Hurts, he looked pretty decent. Looked pretty decent. And here again, made a couple of big throws in this game. Actually, I wouldn't say a couple. A lot of big throws in this game. A lot of big throws. The two picks were not his fault, by the way, either. I don't think they were his fault. And the Cowboys were, were caught off guard, too, being down 10-0. The pick... Uh, by uh, I think Ghostin, which was a big a big play in the game to put the Eagles up by ten. Sorry, not not Ghostin, uh, Josh Sweat. Why am I saying Ghostin? Josh Sweat to put the Eagles up by ten caught this team off guard. But two players I want to name: Tony Pollard, C.D. Lamb. Those guys changed the game for me. Tony Pollard, every time he caught the ball at the backfield, he would get an extra five or six yards. CeeDee Lamb, he was unstoppable on, on Saturday. This guy caught the ball on one play. He spun away from the defender, 
which he probably didn't even see his him. He probably saw him in his rear rear view uh peripheral vision. But the way he made that play look so easy is what I'm surprised about. And you look at the entire game, back and forth action, a couple of big throws, a couple of big catches by Dallas Goddard. Welcome back, Dallas Goddard. But Devonta Smith as well, too, made a couple of big catches. This team didn't miss a beat. And it came down to turnovers. They lost the turnover battle. That's all it came down to. You had four turnovers, four turnovers, and the fumbles were crucial. They were crucial and bad and bad timing. You had that big fumble by Miles Sanders. Damn, cannot have that. <laughs> you just can't have that. that. That to me was a big momentum shifter. It really was. And even, even then, even then, the Eagles still were driving down, looked as if they had a chance to come back and win the game. But you, when you lose the turnover battle and you have four turnovers and you're playing against a good team on the road, it's kind of tough to win that matchup. It is kind of tough. Dak Prescott, for all those who are wondering, I don't think he played the best, but he played good enough, though. All right. And I, I don't, uh, what I'm saying is that I don't think he played the best in the sense that to get outdoed by Gardner Minshew is what I think he should have, what I think that he should have not played up to standards of what I was thinking, where I think he didn't play the best. But threw for 300 yards, which is pretty damn good. All right. Yeah, three touchdowns to one pick, which is not bad at all. Um, I think that's okay. Okay, and you look at their the matchup that he was going against. Again, it's team oriented, so it wasn't as if he's going up against a, a slouch. Even without Jalen Hurts, this team would still be dangerous, and they proved that. But either way, though, I think that Dak has quieted some type of naysayers. I'm not sure about Colin Cowherd because he still has this issue with Dak Prescott. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> but I know that even after this performance, he's still not impressed. He is still not impressed. You were down 10 nothing at home. You were down for the most part of the game up until like the fourth quarter. We took the lead and you somehow gained, regained some control. And even regaining the control was due to your defense making a couple of plays and a crucial fumble late that cost them the game. But give credit to where it's due. Let's move on. Um, let's talk about the Raiders and Steelers. Hmm. I'm flabbergasted again. And it's it's not surprising because of who this team is, but I'm flabbergasted at how the hell the, the Raiders continue to blow leads. How? How? 10 to 3 at halftime. All right. Even, okay, you don't have anything going for you in the first half. Fine. I get it. This team right here, is not looking the best, but they are up 10 to 3 at halftime. To not score a single point after that is criminal. Criminal, guys. Criminal. And this defense, this Pittsburgh defense, is not 10 that is not that great. Like it's not a shutdown defense type of great. It's not. It's really not. But who are they playing? They're playing the Las Vegas Raiders. So, of course, they're going to look shut down great because the Raiders think that after every first half, the game is over. That's what they think. They think that game is over after the first half because I don't understand how the, for the life of me, how do we blow big leads like this? And it, it, it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to watch. If I was a Raiders fan, I'd be pissed off, pissed off because even dating back to last year, we won a couple of one-score games, you know. But in this situation right here, we were up by double digits. <laughs> you know, we were up by double digits. Last year, it was a case of, okay, we have to manage the game, manage the football game in certain situations, and when we have this one or two plays, we take it. And that's how we, that's how we win the game. But this time around, we're up by double digits, and we still can't win. How is that possible? How? But give credit to the Steelers. Came back. Kenny Pickett made a couple plays, especially on that last drive to end it off with a touchdown to George Pickens, which was the nail in the coffin for them. But I, I just don't get it. The running game was 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 still there for the Steelers. Really couldn't stop it for the Raiders' point standpoint. I mean, the Raiders' defense held them to 13 points, whatever. But it's a sucky Steelers passing offense 
which is not that great, and overall a mid-mediocre offense in general. So, of course, you're going to look a little bit better than you are in usual weeks against other potent teams that know how to play offense. But the Steelers, though, like I, I just can't believe it. I, I just cannot believe it. <laughs> Let's run it off with the last matchup on Saturday. Let's go to the Giants and Vikings. Uh, the Vikings made a couple of plays in this game that I thought they would blow the Giants with. But, as always, the Giants remain in striking distance every single game. Every game. It never fails. This team knows how to play football. I give them credit. I do. One, Daniel Jones made a couple plays with his legs. Two, Isaiah Hodgins. Now, that guy right there, forget about Richie James there slaying. It was Isaiah Hodgins. It was the Isaiah Hodgins show on Saturday. Damn, that guy made a couple plays. You know? And the issue here is that they had no answer on the, on the defensive side of the football for Justin Jefferson. You know, no answer for Dalvin Cook for the most part. No answer for TJ Hawkinson. Now, let me give you guys some credit about – let me give – sorry. Let me give Hawkinson some credit because he definitely had a great game. Great game. And this is why you brought in a guy like TJ Hawkinson, a guy that can give you a different element to the passing game, an element that right now Adam Cleveland is not giving you, an element that if Justin Jefferson is being stopped or being double teamed, who do we go to? I mean, he made a, a great catch in the end zone to put this team up, what, 17 to 13 at one point? Clutch. Great. Great. You know? And then after that, we get a couple plays made by the Vikings defense. He had a, a fumble that was picked up by Brian Asamoah. I'm not even saying, I'm not even sure why I'm saying Asamoah. Asamoah become gone yet. Asamoah, Brian Asamoah. That was a big play in the game, too. The fumble late that was caused. Uh, by the Vikings defense that gave them another chance to score a touchdown, by the way. And not, not really a fumble, but like it was a block. It was a block punt. Big play, big play by the special teams on that play right there. And it gave them a short field to pretty much ice the game. They go up 24 to 16. But the Giants, though, Saquon Barkley, what a game he had. And what a play he had on the last drive where he scores a touchdown. And here we go again. A big play needed to be made by this team to remain in striking distance or to win the game, you make it. Back of the end zone. Tied game. But I got to give credit to this Vikings defense and this Vikings team overall because they were able to at least have one final drive, all right? And you had a big play to Justin Jefferson, which on that same catch, he broke the Vikings receiving yards in history for a single season receptions or whatever the case may be. You guys know where I'm going with this. But Greg Joseph <laughs> on the last kick of the game, 61 yards, does it again. This guy's a hero for the Minnesota, Minnesota fan base. And to me, it's sad because you as a Giants fan, as a New York fan in general, because we go back to the, the past, what, four weeks, the Jets had a chance to win it in Minnesota too. But you go back to... These two matchups, both teams had a great chance to win, and it came down to one play that set it all, which was the kick to win the game by Greg Joseph and the Braxton Burials catch that he should have made. Sad, but the Giants still have another chance to clinch a playoff spot for the first time since 2016, I believe. Yes, this team, if they beat the Colts at home next week, they will be in the playoffs. So, Credit to them. I hate the Giants, though, but credit to them. Let's move on to our Sunday matchups. Packers and Dolphins. Packers, man. I got to give credit to this defense. I really do. Because Matt LaFleur was single-handedly, to me, being a bit too aggressive in the first half. I'm not mad about the touchdown, the fourth and two touchdown to Mercedes Lewis. I'm not mad about that. What I'm mad about is when you were down by double digits and you went for it on your freaking midfield, like on the 40-yard line <laughs> type situation, what are we doing here? Do we forget who we're playing? You know, we're playing the Dolphins who have the ability, who just scored a touchdown off of a run by Jalen Waddle, 84-yard touchdown. He broke tackles and just ran the ball. That's how explosive this team can be. So why are we taking any risk at midfield? And, of course, they don't convert some of those, those fourth down conversions. 
But the defense made a couple of plays that changed the game. The fumble late in the first half that gave them the three points that was coughed up, uh, coughed up by Mostert. And then we had Tua, who played a phenomenal first half, probably. An efficient first half. This guy right here, <laughs> this guy right here, single-handedly threw the game away. First, first pick was a punt. Didn't I mean he just threw he over he sailed that ball into coverage right after Aaron or Aaron Rodgers throws a punt. I mean throws a pick. He throws another pick. Gives them new life, like crazy. And then on the second drive, on, on the last two picks in general, doesn't read the coverage. Picked off by Devontae Campbell in, in the middle of the field and then picked off by Rasul Douglas. That was just, he doesn't see these guys dropping into coverage. Really bad plays. Now, I'm not going to sit here and crucify Tua because of what I didn't believe coming into the season. And, you know, he has played really well this year. He has. He's been first in a lot of categories, which is, for him, that's a big accomplishment. But he made a couple of plays that threw the game away, guys. Cannot forget about that. Cannot forget about that. That was huge. That had playoff implications on the line here. And now, going away from Tua as the football player, we're going to Tua as the human being. He is now being placed in the concussion protocol once again this season. And... I was watching a snippet of Robert Griffin III talking about Tua, and he's basically saying that, you know, Tua shouldn't be playing this season. Like, he should be done for the rest of the season. And I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Tua, to me, has had a couple of hits this year that have been terrible to watch, saddening to watch. And for me, coming from a football fan, not even an AFC rival or whatnot, but coming from a football fan who wants to see these players be healthy, and football, cannot forget, is a really contact sport. It's a dangerous sport. I mean, last night, we saw the likes of Darren James get ejected because of a, a vicious hit, a, a really vicious hit, too, that, that could have paralyzed him, possibly. God forbid it did. But that hit, those kind of hits right there are what ends the mobility and the movement of players in their bodies. You know, and it's sad to see. But I, I think that to a to me, should not be playing for the rest of the season. He can't be. He can't be. If we want to talk about protecting our players and protecting them from themselves, you know, going back to last week when Mike White wanted to play so bad against the freaking Lions and he's going to do whatever he can. No, 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 no. If you puncture a rib or a lung or whatever, you're done. <laughs> like, you are done. And, and give credit to the doctors. Give credit to the coaching staff for allowing them to say no. We're not going to play Mike White. And I think the Dolphins should have the same approach and say, we're not going to play Tua. Like, he does not look good. Does not look good at all. And head injuries are very much serious. Very much serious, too. It controls everything in your body. So those concussions are not to be played with at all. At all. So if there's any way to stop him from playing football this year, I think he should do it. Remember, guys... Andrew Luck retired off of the hits that he was taking. A lot of too many hits, too many hits that he could sustain. You know, and even though we can make cases about how the coach didn't protect him or didn't do the best job of protecting him, it still wasn't enough to keep him playing football. It wasn't. The hits were too much. And in this same situation, Tua for me, I don't know if his career is over. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's looking less likely for him to continue to play football at a high level. Because ain't no way, ain't no way I continue to see this guy fall down. Similar injuries that are going to keep on adding up. Keep on giving his brain much more damage, his head much more damage. To a point where he can never recover from. Like, why take that risk? You made your money already. You made your money already, man. Or why take the risk? To me, that's, that's very much a thing that I don't want to see happen to NFL players. And it's a risk that they all deal with while coming onto the field. But I think the Dolphins should do a service to Tua by not playing him. You know, give the reps to Teddy Bridgewater in a crucial matchup against the Patriots coming up. Yes, that that would be a very big game for them for playoff implications on it. But for Tua's sake, you want to protect the player before you protect – you want to protect the human being, sorry, before you protect the player. So – 
that's just it for me right there. Um, let's move on to the Rams and Broncos. Hmm. Guys. <laughs> Guys, what the hell happened here? What the hell happened here? I I just cannot believe what I, I saw. I cannot believe it. I'm 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 flabbergasted. You know. So Nathaniel Hackett got fired recently. But why did he get fired? All right. So before we get into that, we'll talk about this game. Now, to get blown out that way in that kind of fashion, I have many questions that I want answers to. One, where the hell was the defense? This great defense that we have been raving about this entire year, where the hell was that? To get put, you got a 50-burger put on you, boy. A 50-burger. That's a lot. <laughs> a 50-burger. You let Baker Mayfield dice you up that way. Wow. And I guess you can make the case that he's getting to know the playbook a little bit more. He's being more comfortable in certain situations. But to let him dice you up like that? And the running game, too. I mean, we know this team had some type of vulnerability stopping the football when it comes to the running game. But Cam Akers had a field day against these guys. Wow. And then the offensive side of the football. Here we go again. Why does Russell Wilson look this bad? Why does he look this bad? Here we go again with the same throws, same situations, and same poor decisions being made on the field week in and week out. And I have no clue how we can go from Seattle Russell Wilson to Denver Russell Wilson in that kind of fashion. I thought we was going to Seattle Russell Wilson. I, I just cannot believe what's going on here. I, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. You know, as far as this game is concerned, there's not much to talk about here. There's really not. Like, they got blown out. They got pushed back on both phases of the football. They got pushed back. Okay? And there is no way, no way they could have won that game. No way. I can't, I can't even say a couple players go their way. Maybe they have a chance. No. They came in there and laid an egg. The Denver Broncos did. Came in there and laid an, an egg, a freaking egg. I don't understand how, how you get blown out like that. But let's move on to Nathaniel Hackett. So Nathaniel Hackett joined some an interesting company. He joins John Wetchell, who was the coach of the Washington football team. I guess you got my show what the name was. Washington Redskins, at least at that point. In 1949, he joins Pete McCulley, Niners coach. 1978, Urban Meyer. Oh boy. Oh no, no. Here we go. This is bad company. 2021, Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. He joins all those coaches to become the only coach, the fourth coach to be fired without lasting one season. He lasted 15 games. Other coaches have either stepped down or resigned. You get the point. But what led to this moment? I'll tell you. One, before I go into defending this guy, he lost the whole entire control of the locker room. He just did. He just did. You know, and it goes back into this game as well, too. I, I get it. The defense is supposed to be coming into this game being one of the best still in the NFL, even despite their recent quarterback play, even despite their offensive struggles. But you could just tell that this defense really didn't want to fight for him anymore. They did not. It's a big change going off of what we saw last week against the Cardinals going to this week against the Rams. A big difference, a big shift. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened. What happened? So he lost control of the locker room. That's one. And two, like, what, what the hell are we doing with the play calls? Before I defend him, right, before I defend him, I'll say that we did not do a good job at all of getting – Russell Wilson, any type of groove, any type of anything going on this team at all. Nothing, nothing at all. There was too many decisions where you showed your rookie mistakes. There was not much clock management. We go back to the first game of the season against the Seahawks where he didn't call the timeouts and whatnot. I'm not sure what we're doing there. That was stupid. That was really dumb. And to, to make things worse, hmm, Denver Broncos fans, look away. The interview list for last year before Nathaniel Hackett was hired. Rams offensive coordinator at the time, Kevin O'Connell. Do you see what he's doing for Minnesota? Okay. 
Cowboys, offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Do you see the play calls that are happening in Dallas? Okay. Uh, Cowboys, defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn. Defense has looked great this year. <laughs> Lions, D.C., Aaron Glenn. Okay, I mean, they, they've improved, I guess you could say. They have improved. That didn't really look the best. It was It was pretty much terrible the first, what, five, six games. But they have improved, though. So it's all about process. Packers QB coach, Luke Getzky. Do you see what he's doing for the uh, sorry the Chicago Bears and how he's calling players and making things better for Justin Fields? Patriots linebacker coach, Gerard Mayo, mm, contributing to a very good defense. Eagles coach, D.C., I mean, sorry, yeah, D.C., Jonathan Gannon. That defense has looked much better this year. Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, uh, once again. The passing game for the Bengals has looked ecstatic this year. Has looked great. I'm sure the, the, the Denver Broncos could use that. And last but not least, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who has not gotten a job yet after having consistency in regards to pitching in and helping out with how dynamic this offense has looked within the past five years, at least. Seriously. But we all chose to go with Nathaniel Hackett. Wow. What a coaching list, and what a way to choose the wrong guy. <laughs> but here's why I come in to defend him. One, Russell Wilson, to me, is probably the biggest reason why he's fired. The biggest reason why he's fired. Because you can't, like, how can you call plays? Guys, you, you asked me this question. How can you call plays? How can you run an offense if your quarterback is timid, conservative, making bad throws, sailing bad throws? making bad decisions. I mean, the first two picks were terrible, terrible, terrible. All right. One, the first pick was a great play made, right? But that ball was overthrown. Second pick was thrown right into coverage. It's like he didn't even see the guy. Is this a, a, a what, 11-year veteran or what? Like, what's going on? What is he doing? So, yes, I'll give him that aspect that when you have Russell Wilson and we see a complete 360 of what he was in Seattle compared to what he is now in Denver, it's, it becomes a bit tougher to call plays because you want to get things going. You want to get a mojo going about your offense, about your team, but you can't really push the ball down the field due to the inconsistency of Russell Wilson, which we all thought that coming into this year, he would not have. And I thought he would be spectacular for the team to a point where I'm thinking to myself, I, I called Nathaniel Hackett to be the head coach of the year. <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> that was far gone wrong because ain't no way that happened. This guy is fired now. He's fired. But all you have to do is score 18 points a game and you win. You're probably nine and what? You're probably 11 and three at this point of the season. Score 18 points a game. You couldn't do that. That's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. You know, and it, that Russell Wilson part. Is one part. It's a major part, but it's still one part of the whole entire scheme of things. He still lost control of the locker room. He still didn't do the best at play calling and didn't do the best at management. What makes you a good head coach? If you can manage the game, if you could do well in situational football, he did neither. So yeah, pretty big, pretty bad hire. Probably the worst hire of Broncos history. And he joined some bad company. But either way, though, the Broncos need a full reset. I'm not sure what needs to happen next year, but we definitely do need to go back to a guy that can help this offense. And it's sad to say help this offense when you have a guy who is, I wouldn't say a legend, but who is a Hall of Famer, soon to be Hall of Famer in Russell Wilson, who right now is kind of tarnishing his legacy by the way he's playing. But he still is off of what he did in Seattle, uh, Hall of Famer to be. So they need some help. They need some help ASAP. Anyways, moving on. Buccaneers and Cardinals. Okay. Hmm. I don't understand how this game was moving. Like, it was sloppy, very sloppy. The Buccaneers, to me, here we go again with the same issues. I mean, we had two plays that I had an issue with. And they made a couple of those kind of plays in that game. Where in the in the gotta have it moments, you made a couple of decisions that I went, "What the hell are we doing here?" Like there was one drive where they ran the ball three two straight times, one on third down, one on fourth down, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wait, you guys not a, you're not a running football team anyway." 
you have struggled all year long with running the football. Why are you running the football in that situation? What are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? Be creative. Get into space. Get your guys like Leonard Fournette into space. A pitch, something like that. But up the middle two times, that was it. That was a big issue. And then Brady, once again, struggling. Missing throws, making bad picks, or throwing bad picks. And that's what led to them being down by 10 points. It was bad. It was, it was a trash show. It really was. And the Cardinals, who are being led by Trace McSorley, are doing just enough to stay in the game. That's one. And two, when they get the opportunity, they make plays. They go up by 10 points <laughs> off of a run by James Conner. And all of a sudden, the, the, the Buccaneers are in trouble. But you still do have the goal on your team. So you still do have the chance to make some plays, which they did so. Had a crucial touchdown drive. Had a crucial field goal drive. Tied the game up. Uh, and then in the end, you have a big drive in OT that pretty much sends the game away. But, you know, not trying to dive too deep into this game. I just want to say that I'm not impressed, though. I'm really not impressed. This team is so lackluster, it's not even funny. And you know what's funny, guys? I think they might lose next week. Was it next week? I think they might lose the division. I think so. Yeah, they play the Panthers next week. The Panthers, all they have to do is win out. All they have to do is beat the Buccaneers and beat whoever is last on their schedule. And they win the division. That's crazy. But how would it look like for Tom Brady to come out of retirement and to look this bad, to play this poorly, and to finish under 500, and to not win the division, and to not make the playoffs, and get divorced? But that, that's crazy. <laughs> That's insane, guys. That is pretty bad. Pretty bad football all around. You know? And when I look at these this team and I and I ask who who held their end of the bargain better between Todd Bowles and Tom Brady, I want to say Todd Bowles. I really do think so. Because if it wasn't for his offense looking this trash, maybe the defense plays much better. I mean, you look at that last matchup last week. Was it the defense fault that let that that cost them five turnovers straight? Was it their faults against the Bengals? I mean, you look at the defense overall, right? This game right here held the team to 16 points. Last week, the offense threw the game away. The week before, okay, they got blown up by the, the Niners, but the offense could have moved the football in that game. The Saints game, 16 points. The Buccaneers game against the Browns. Mm, OT, 23 points, not that bad. But it took the Buccaneers a chance late to come back, which is, to me, not, not that great. You have the, C the Seahawks game, 16 points. Rams game, 13 points. Now, you're not really playing. Some of these games are not against some potent offenses anyway. But still, do your job. Do your job. And in the end, they are looking pretty bad. So despite this win, I am not impressed. Now, last but not least, Monday Night Football, we have the Chargers and Colts. Nick Foles gets the start, and he looks terrible. Looks terrible. He is not the answer. And I'm surprised because we had a whole week to prepare. So I, I'm surprised as to why he looks this bad. I mean, the, the all three picks were bad, were just straight bad. He oversells one pass, picked off. Okay. He has a pass that's thrown into coverage. It looks as if he doesn't read the coverage. Again, picked off. Too many bad, too many bad mistakes. Too many. Takes some a couple of bad sacks. There was no passing element at all in this game. No passing element. It's sad to see. It is sad to see. And it wonder, it makes you wonder exactly like, you know what? This team had a couple of blunders with Matt Ryan, but they look better with Matt Ryan. And I know it's one week with Nick Foles on the center, but to have Matt Ryan and to have Nick Foles on the team starting games and to not look at least competent, oh boy, that, that's bad. That is bad. That's that's pretty terrible. That is pretty terrible. Okay. Surprising. Very surprising. Anyways, um, the Chargers, to me, similar to the Bills, started off the game kind of slow. They didn't look uh, they look out of sorts, I'll tell you that much, but they didn't look really potent at all. First quarter was bad, really bad. First half was pretty bad. But as the game got in their favor and they got stronger and they got more control of the football game. That's when you see these big players opening up for guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams to make plays happen. Um, the running game has something a little bit going to itself. But 
you're playing up against a team that's not that good, the Colts team. Either way, though, you do clinch the playoffs, so that's a good thing for them. But you don't you have to look past this game, right? Do the Chargers have enough to sustain a playoff run? They will win a game solely off of three players. Or four, I guess you could say. Austin Eckler, Justin Herbert, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen. Everybody else, as a unit, not individually, but as a unit, is not good enough for me. You know, because do you really expect Joey Bosa to make plays the entire game to keep this team in the game? I don't think so. On defense, I don't think so. You know, Derwin James made a, a big play late. I mean, early, sorry, early in that first half, first quarter after before being ejected. Sorry, but will it be enough? I don't know. So this, these games will be won off of the big play happening by Justin Herbert, by the big play magic that happens from Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. But do they have enough going into the playoffs? I have no clue. But I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. All right. Now, let's talk about <laughs> that's, that's over with. Let's talk about some basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. I'm just joking. Anyways, Wemby. So one NBA agent came out and said that, and I quote, if he's not hurt, he'll be the greatest player ever about Victor Wembanyama. He also went on to say that, and I quote, he's the best player in the league and the level of players he's playing against are the best players in the Pac-12, the best college players, borderline NBA guys, and he's dominating, dominating. So I want to start off by saying that, yes, we know the physical attributes that this guy possesses. He is a beast so far of what we've seen. And there's no one taller than him coming into the NBA right now, I think. And there's no one that has the kind of game. Yeah, I could talk about Bobo at least, but even he can't really match up with how Wemby is and what he's coming into, I think. We don't know yet. He hasn't played the NBA game yet, but that's what I think is going to happen. The issue here I have with the statement is that for him to be the best player or to be the greatest player ever, whew, we're, talk, we're touching LeBron James here. We're touching Michael Jordan, Wilt, Kobe, Bill Russell, rest in peace. Talking about best player. To be the best player, you, you just can't have the physical attributes. You got to have the, the accolades as well, too. You know, you got to have the championships to go along with that. You got to have the clutch gene. You got to have the impact to win your team some games. So when I look at him saying that, does he know that NBA coaches are not college coaches? I mean, there's different game plans to be had in the future, that will stop this guy from going off for 40 points every game. Especially in the playoffs, too. When we see him for four times straight, at least. I mean, come on now. Let's let's calm down here. Let's calm down. Let's calm down here, guys. I think coming into the NBA, when he is drafted, Victor Wemiyama would be the best prospect ever. But he has to live up to those expectations, though. Don't forget. It's one thing to be the A student in high school. But now when you come to college, you're competing against guys who are <laughs> the same, similar to you. And I'm not, we're not talking about physical attributes here. There's no one that really measures up well with Victor Wembanyama the way he does right now. But I'm talking about winning games now. I'm talking about winning championships, winning the division, winning the, the conference. Can he do that? Can he, can he overcome that? There's going to be so many game plans put in place to stop Victor Wembanyama from going off every game. Whether or not that would be successful, it'll be a different kind of field than what he was dealing with in college. So yes, borderline NBA players, I get it. Pac-12, I get it. But when it comes down to the playoffs, for instance, let's say, for example, he makes the playoffs. He's not going up against borderline NBA players. He's going up against stars now who can match with him in scoring. He's going up against coaches who can devise plans to stop him, to neutralize him, to slow him down. He's going up against guys that will force him to pass the ball up, that will force other players to beat them. So I don't know about that. Let's calm down about him being the greatest player ever. Let's calm down about him being a guy that's going to come in here and straight dominate. Like, I hate that notion of guys saying that he's going to come in here and dominate. I think that he has a good chance to dominate. But I don't know that yet. I have no clue about that yet. Come on now. Let's think about this. This guy right here is a different kind of breed that we are used to seeing ever for any college player. But 
I, I'm not ready to say that he's going to come over here and win five, six, seven championships already. Like, come on now. No, no. Let's stop right here. Whatever team that does get him, that is blessed <laughs> to get Victor Wemayama to come on their team and to draft him at least, they will have to still devise plans and, and schemes to make sure that he is fed the proper way, to make sure that he is dominating the proper way. Coaching still has a lot of things to deal with with the production and the development of a player. And even though you would think that a guy of Victor's stature can overcome coaching, we still don't know yet. He has not been coached by an NBA coach yet. He's been coached by college coaches or, you know, coaches who are like NBA coaches, I guess you could say, but they're not NBA coaches. So let's slow down here about the narrative about him being the best ever to do it. He hasn't even played an NBA game, an NBA minute. Like, calm down. Calm down. But anyways, guys, that's how we're going to end off the podcast. Yes, yes, sir. Be sure to check out some more content from Game Breakers dropping every week, three times a week. We are in the last week of the year. So it's time to finish off strong. And I'm not going to sit here and talk about the New Year's resolution and whatnot. You know, forget all that. Just remain consistent and do your thing and keep on pushing for greatness. All right, guys, we are out. Peace.